This morning they handed me the microphone, and this evening I was expected to get it on my own. I figured out I needed to do that, and I went and did it. We're going to be in the book of Colossians tonight, if you'd like to open up there. Smaller crowd tonight, good to have uh, our Lads to Leaders group back with us, as many as have made it back so far, hope the rest will make it back safely. Remember many uh, fond years of having our kids in a, a similar program that you may know from other parts of the country, Leadership Training for Christ, that was in Kansas City. I guess uh, Easter weekend is always a, a, a good weekend to book many hundreds of, of hotel rooms and hotels in big cities. So. It works out well, and it's a great, a great program for our kids and for those that help them out. Appreciate you being here tonight. So as we get started tonight, I want to give you a brief overview of the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians, I think, has to be one of my favorite books just because of Paul's relationship with the Christians there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more of that, about that as we go along. We'll give a, a brief overview, and then we'll focus on the main message of that letter. So in Acts chapter 16 would be a good starting point if you want to flip over there. You can also uh, keep a thumb or a ribbon in, in Philippians as well. Paul uh, was in, instrumental in establishing that congregation, the, the Philippi Church of Christ, around A.D. 50. Uh, it was near the beginning of his second missionary journey. And uh, the beginnings of the church in Philippi are given, given to us in Acts chapter 16. If you want to look there, starting in verse 11. Acts 16, verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So you might be familiar with the basic story of the establishment of the church in Philippi. Uh, there was a slave girl in that town and she had a couple of handlers if you will some uh, uh, some owners that were making money off of her and she evidently had an evil spirit in her that helped her uh, to predict the future uh, something that's a little bit foreign to us in this day and age uh, at least uh, legitimate uh, a legitimate situation like this but the owners are making a lot of money and it seems as though this young lady had followed Paul and Silas around the city quite a bit because she knew uh, what it was that they were preaching. She kept saying that these are men of God who have come to proclaim the message of Jesus. And so her handlers, her owners, uh, were, were not too happy when Paul finally got fed up and drove that demon out of her and dried up their source of income. And they decided they were going to hold Paul and Silas to account for causing them uh, some financial damage. And Paul and Silas then were also accused of causing an uproar in that city, and they were thrown into prison. 
So God sends uh, an earthquake, and their shackles, their stocks and bonds were, were released. And then as the Philippian jailer notices that they are no longer confined there, he assumes the worst and that he's lost some of the inmates there and decides he's going to try to take his own life. And Paul and Silas then stop him and said, we're, we're all here. So then they have an opportunity to preach to this jailer the message of Jesus, and they convert him. Those are some of the things that happened then in chapter 16 while Paul was in, was in Philippi. We don't know for sure how long he stayed there. It says some days. Um, could have been just several days. It, it seems, though, for as much as was accomplished during his time, that he might have been there for a longer period of time. But uh, things were happening pretty quickly in the first century as far as the establishing of congregations. Uh, but we do know some things from Acts chapter 16 and some of the things that we see in, in Philippians, the book itself. Paul baptized a Gentile named Lydia, and we saw that here. And he baptized another woman named Euodia and a man named Clement. And we know that he must have converted enough people then in that, in that part of his missionary journey to, to, for there to be a fully functioning congregation of the Lord's body uh, out of that area. And then Paul moved on uh, to, Th to Thessalonica and to Corinth. But a special relationship was, was formed with that congregation in, in Philippi between Paul and these, these new Christians. And as we read on in the New Testament, as we read on in Philippians especially, uh, they didn't forget Paul. I imagine there's a lot of people, for good reasons or, or for bad reasons, they, they weren't going to be able to forget Paul and what had happened in his time with them. But at several, at several points in time, the Philippians, the Christians in Philippi, send financial support to help Paul in the spreading of the gospel. And we know of at least two times where Paul sends representatives to them, he'd like Timothy, to, to the Christians there to encourage them. And then as six or, six or seven years pass uh, from that initial visit in Acts chapter 16 before uh, we, we see at the end of the, the third missionary journey, where he's able to go back and visit them again. Maybe you have been a part of a congregation. Um, uh, Kara and I and, and the family have, have been parts of various congregations uh, in different parts of the world. And we have formed sometimes close relationships with congregations and sometimes not as close. You find that uh, sometimes you, you build better connections in some places uh, than in others. But after six to seven years, uh, you think of a place where you maybe lived before, have you ever spent that much time away from a congregation where your bonds were really super strong to the congregation where you were before? Uh, maybe so, but Paul, Paul is, uh, would like to go back and see them. He'd like to be able to go back and see them, but, there's, but a lot of time has passed. And so after this long period of time, they have, and you can imagine in those times with not having the media and the, uh, the telephones and whatever that they weren't going to make immediate contact just to touch base and see how people were, were doing. But a long time had passed and they lost, lost touch with each other. But in the meantime, Paul has been arrested in the city of Jerusalem and he spends time on trial before uh, Jewish and Roman leaders. He also spends time in prison, and he's put, he's put on a ship where he's sent to Rome for another two years under house arrest. So imagine you're a Christian in the city of Philippi, 
with a special bond to the Apostle Paul, and you really don't know what has gone on with him. But during those two years that Paul is under arrest in Rome, they find out where Paul is, and they send a member of the congregation named Epaphroditus to go check in on Paul. They know that he's under house arrest, and they want to make uh, contact with Paul, so they send Epaphroditus uh, with some gifts from the Christian family in Philippi. And he, he gives them an update. Uh, Epaphroditus gives, gives Paul an update on what's going on with the Christians in Philippi. So maybe you're thinking back in history so to, of, of a congregation that you have had a connection with in the past and uh, trying to keep up with some folks that you knew from back then. But in the meantime, as Epaphroditus is visiting, he gets extremely ill. And he's, he's, he's pretty close to death. He's come to help Paul and encourage him and give him some news, but Paul ends up uh, nursing him back to health. Epaphroditus was in kind of a rough way. And after his recovery then, Paul is going to send Epaphroditus back with this letter that we have preserved for us today. We want to take away some lessons uh, from, this le from this book for us today. Puts this letter in his hand and sends Epaphroditus back. And what he does is he makes it clear to the church in Philippi that he sure is missing them. Paul is missing the church. He's missing the Christians there. And when you look at the various letters that Paul wrote to other churches, you don't see that same connection, do you? You don't see quite the bond that he has with the church in Philippi. I think uh, we can see that Paul was closer to them than any other. If you think about Christians in, in Jerusalem... Uh, the Christians in Jerusalem were kind of butting heads all the time, uh, disagreeing about things. They thought Paul was maybe uh, selling out on the gospel, that he wasn't, he wasn't telling people everything they needed to know because he, he wasn't telling them that they need to uh, uh, have the Gentiles do what the Jewish people had been doing. Uh, they didn't like him, uh, that, that, that he was not teaching to accept the law of Moses along with the law of Christ. So that was Jerusalem. Many wanted uh, to make Paul's life miserable, and they wanted to do that anywhere else where Paul had an association where, where Gentiles were, were located in those congregations. So Corinth certainly wasn't any better. They questioned his apostleship. They questioned his authority. Uh, they didn't like his speaking style. You can imagine what that's like as a preacher to be uh, confronted all the time about your speaking style. Uh, they refused to listen to his teaching. And they would even claim that what he was saying was not, was not from God. But in Philippi, it was a different story. So you think about a congregation maybe where you've had especially strong ties, and maybe this is exactly the place, the Olive Branch congregation. The Philippians were a different story. They loved Paul, and they let him know it. They bent over backwards to take care of him. They bent over backwards to encourage him in his ministry. And if there was any place that Paul could go and be among family and friends, that was the city of Philippi, the church in Philippi. So we see that special relationship with Paul throughout the letter, and he refers to them as dear friends. He tells them that he longs for them and keeps them in his heart. So let's take a look at some of these verses in Philippians chapter 1. He loves them and he has a great affection for them. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God upon every remem remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
just as, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now we know that Paul is locked up. We can assume that he's pretty lonely, pretty dejected about his situation, pretty, feeling pretty rejected in many ways. We don't want to be careful not to read too much into what's there, but you can imagine that, certainly. Then Epaphroditus shows up at his door, and it could be that Paul was instrumental in, in converting Epaphroditus. He may have had a special bond with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus may have volunteered to go visit Paul. But, so he's hearing from his Christian family in Philippi, and he longs to be with them again. And you know that Paul would just up and go. He'd be on his way to Philippi if he could. But there's a problem that he's locked up, and he doesn't even know what the outcome of his situation is going to be, whether it's going to end in freedom or possibly in his death. I guess I just figured out recently through study that uh, what we have covered in the New Testament doesn't even, doesn't even tell us. Well, we, know, we don't know what happened to Paul. It would be assumed that when he was executed, it was part of this imprisonment. But evidently, he was released and arrested again later, and then, and then executed. Billy, the time has come. <laughs> so in the meantime, Paul is not able to go back and see his beloved Philippian brethren. He has to be content with the love that he's feeling from that congregation from far away. He's grateful that they made contact, that they still love him, they still honor him. He's grateful for the support they've sent him. And while he's there locked up, he can certainly have thoughts of one day going and be with, being with them again. But there's more to this letter than his desire to be with his Christian family in Philippi. They're missing him too. They want to see him again. But they need Paul. They need Paul to come back and help them sort through some things that they're kind of struggling with. There's some things that they're not really sure that they can handle on their own. And maybe we have some feelings like that sometimes too. The things that we don't necessarily know that we're going to be able to work through on our own. Because, you know, the letter that they got, they got from, that Paul got from the church in, Philippi, in the Philippi from Epaphroditus was not all good news was not all just uh, hugs and kisses and warm feelings. There were some problems that were going on. They sent gifts and they sent love, but they also sent news of some troublemakers. And maybe you can think about our world today, some troublemakers that we have to deal with. Not necessarily in our congregation, there could be some, but the troublemakers that are around us all the time. The Christians there have been under attack from a group of Jewish Christians that had believed that the church had gotten it all wrong. Sometimes we'll come across people who think that we've gotten it all wrong. Some were, like in other, in other cities, they were teaching that Jesus alone was not enough, that the Gentile Christians were going to have to comply with some of the Jewish customs, they're going to have to be circumcised and keep parts of, of the law of Moses. And there was turmoil in the church in Philippi. And the Christians appear to be scared and discouraged, 
and insecure. They would really like for Paul to come and fix some things. They would like for Paul to come and speak for them. You know, you, you taught us about Jesus. You baptized us. You started the church here. We need you here. We need you to come and help us debate the issues or debate the issues for us. We know that you can do it, that you can come and help us out. Now, hopefully you're starting to see the point of this lesson about some things that we're confronted with in our everyday lives as well. Paul can't go. He's not able to physically go, at least not at this point. And we, we see from the text that he's looking forward to a time, hopefully, where he can. But at this point, he can send a letter. And he does with Epaphroditus. And he can send men like Timothy in his place. And he says he will come if and when he can do that. But for now, he can't. And the question is, will Paul ever be able to do enough while he's locked up? Will he ever be able to do enough to help this congregation in Philippi survive? Will they be able to stay true to the Lord without Paul being there? You know, if you're really struggling with some things in your, in your daily Christian walk, you may wonder, am I ever going to be able to muddle through what it is I'm dealing with? And the Apostle Paul believes that they can do it. He's going to give us some encouragement as well. Flip back to chapter 1, starting in verse 22, Philippians 1, 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. If you just stop and think about that, Paul, Paul's saying, even if my time in prison ends in death, I'll be better off. But God makes it clear to him that he needs Paul at this point to remain in the body. Picking up in verse 25 then, he says, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And get this part. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So I think those, those verses right there are going to give us an idea of, of the reason that Paul's writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi. Here's how I want you to conduct yourselves while I'm away. Hang on, hang on until I can be there with you again. He knows that, he, that it would be easier for them if Paul was able to go and be there with them, but he knows that they have what it takes to stand firm. Paul knows that those Christians in Philippi have what it takes to stand firm. When we read Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, and the Lord is telling us to remain faithful unto death, He's also told us in many places in Scripture that he has given us what we need to stand firm. He says, you're going to be just fine. 
So here's why Paul is writing the letter to the church there. Here's why I think God preserved this letter for us and made it available for us. I think we're in a situation that may be similar to what the Christians were experiencing in Philippi. I kind of uh, led on to this in the lesson this morning. I have this impression that the world is, is, a, is a lot nastier than it used to be. There are things that are facing Christians, and I'll, I'll probably say this again, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think it used to be that Christians were kind of the ones that were poked fun at for having the wrong ideas and not going along with the world. I think in a lot of ways the world has just kind of pushed the Christians aside at this point and has just gotten nastier and nastier. I hope you can prove me wrong, that you'll convince me that I'm wrong on that, but we live in a culture and a time in history that is really tough for the Christian faith, isn't it? We see it pretty much where anywhere Christians are referenced, whether it's television, in the news, entertainment, uh, will be called uh, intolerant, ignorant, out of touch with reality. But in many ways, we're not even being addressed anymore. But we face these situations in our homes, at work, at school, and it really can make it difficult to continue on, to, 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 to live in this difficult world and keep our commitment to Christ firm and steady. Some are disheartened and they're discouraged in their effort to follow Jesus. And it can happen to any of us. So Paul is experiencing that, is sensing that from the Christians in Philippi. But you know, each one of us, we're, gonna, we're going to face those who oppose us in our principles. If you have any contact with those outside in the world, you're going to, you're going to be nodding your head probably to this. And it's hard sometimes to know what to say to those who are critics of the faith or critics of, of, of the way of life that's completely different from theirs. So I ask you this question, do you ever long for the presence of Jesus? We're not, I'm not thinking about having Paul come visit. I know that's not going to happen. But do you ever think about, I wish that Jesus would come and just Take care of some things. Maybe not necessarily be done with my time in this world, but have Jesus just come and, and set, them, set, set some things straight. You ever long for his presence, wish that he'd just come and just rattle a few cages or uh, deliver a few lessons, they'll get people on the right track again? Maybe you've had that thought that you wish that he could just come and, and help sort through some things that you feel sometimes that you can't handle on your own. We know that, that Paul couldn't be with them physically. He was hoping for a day when he could go and be with them. Turns out that that was not going to happen. He didn't know that. But Jesus has promised that he's coming again. And don't hear me saying that I think that Jesus is going to come and live here among us and, and settle things. Because when he comes, he's not coming to stay, is he? He's coming to take us home. But... He is coming, and he's coming with perfect certainty. We don't have to be concerned about whether Jesus is coming again. But in the meantime, he says, I've sent some others. Okay, He sent some others who wrote the things down that we need to know to be able to stand firm. And he gave us the work of the Spirit then, who got it all written down for us. So like Paul, Jesus speaks of a return. But the question for you and for me tonight is, will that concept of the return of Jesus be enough? For you? Will the promise of Jesus' return be enough 
for you to stand firm. So we're caught between the need for Jesus to be here and the reality that Jesus needs to be away because he's preparing a place for us. So in that situation where Jesus is not able to physically be present here, he told us he'd be with us, never leave us, never forsake us, right? But he's not going to be here physically. But is that going to be enough for you? In that situation, will the Christians in the Olive Branch congregation remain true to the Lord, knowing that Jesus has promised to be with us in a different way? But like the, the situation with Paul, he believes we can do it. And it's a message that we have in this letter to the Philippians. He tells us how we need to conduct ourselves while we're waiting for the Lord to return. And if we're not careful, we don't, pay, we don't pay much attention to how he tells us to conduct ourselves while we're waiting. Even with persecution, even with critics, and even with a hostile environment in the world, he says we can hang on. We can stand firm until he can be with us again. Turn over to chapter 3 of Philippians, if you would, verse 18. For many walk, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast. In the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So we're, we're in a similar situation to the Philippians in the first century. We stand up for Christ in our culture and we have abuse heaped on us. We are discounted in what we say. And sometimes in recent years, we're even, we're even, uh, we're even canceled, aren't we? I have nothing to do with you because where you stand on things, I will say nothing to you, I will have nothing to do with you. We try to defend the Lord's standards on morality, and we get ridiculed, we get discounted. We call adultery, or fornication, or abortion, or homosexuality, we call them sin, and we get labeled as intolerant, as religious radicals out of touch with the real world. And what does Paul tell the church in Philippi? He says, child of God, keep doing what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing. Chapter 1, verse 27. So whatever happens, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened, because we stand united with Christ. We don't need to be frightened, do we? There's no need to be scared, because we don't belong to this world. He says our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Sure, it would be easier for Paul or for Jesus to be standing with us physically 
be a lot easier to be comfortable, secure in how we live our day-to-day lives. But whether it gets easier for us as Christians or whether it gets harder for us, the Apostle Paul says, you have what it takes to stand firm. He told them and he's telling us, you have what it takes to stand firm. You have the knowledge that Jesus is coming again and you know that Jesus will ultimately be united with those who belong to him for all eternity. And you don't need a whole lot more than that, do you? Because your citizenship is in heaven and you know that he's returning and you know that you're going to be with him, if you have obeyed him, then you can stand firm. So whether he's standing here physically or just represented by what the Spirit has delivered to us, his word, or he's represented here by his fellow believers, those of like precious faith, let me just make a quick comment. I need you. We need each other. We can stand firm. You know what what COVID has done to the church the devil has really done a number on many congregations all over this world in, in trying to keep us apart. And in a lot of ways, the, the devil has been successful in that. But if you think about it, if we're going to stand firm, and if the Lord has given us everything that, he, that, that we need to stand firm, first and foremost, he has given us one another. He has given us the church to build and maintain strength We need to be here Sunday mornings. We need to be here Sunday evenings. If at all possible, we need to be here Monday evening for a couple of hours to receive encouragement and work together on projects for the Lord to help us stand firm. We need to be here any and every time we can. If you're thinking about trying to get along in the world and not standing firm in the Lord, The devil's going to try to get you. He's roaming around. He's looking for someone to devour, and he'll do it even if he takes small nibbles. We need to be together. We never make a stand alone. So I hope you're you're encouraged by, by what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. If the New Testament was still being written, maybe there'd be something in there about our faith. Maybe there'd be something in there about the things that we struggle with, the ways, the places that we need uh, encouragement, reinforcement in our lives. But we need to be able to put our confidence in our Creator and until Jesus comes to, re, to, re, to deliver the Lord's church back to the Father, Paul is telling us we need to conduct ourselves in a good and worthy manner. And we know how to do that because our shepherds are making sure we're being fed. And every one of us, probably without exception, if you're old enough, you have learned to read and you have learned to digest what is in God's word and learn and grow from it so that you don't have to fall victim to Satan and the wiles of the devil. We can stand firm and build our lives on the fact that we will one day be face to face, yeah, with the Apostle Paul, but certainly with the Lord. We don't need him here physically because he's given us everything that we need to survive and do well. The problem is if you're not yet a child of of the Lord, if you're not a child of God, he's got all these great things prepared for you, but you haven't laid claim to them yet. So tonight would be a good time to do that, wouldn't it? There's There's no reason to delay. 
There's no reason to put that off. Maybe you don't know enough. Maybe you need to study some more before you can make that decision. Or maybe you've just delayed long enough that uh, tonight's the night. No more excuses. So you can know that the Lord is coming again. He's going to take us there to be with him. There are promises to those that belong to him, but those are for his children. He wants for our sins to be forgiven. He wants us to have that blessing of knowing that, home and, that heaven is our inter, eternal home. And he's going to give us the strength that we need to endure through this life and have that ongoing forgiveness. If you're not yet a child of God, Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 gives us some good information. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, when that faith leads you to be baptized into Christ, you become a child of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you need to respond tonight for any reason, would you come now as we stand and sing?